welcome to yet another edition of Comfortably Unnumb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. My name is Blake Anderson. I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm also the program's manager here at the Umbrella Society in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, on the traditional unceded territories of Lekonkwin-speaking people. And we're just absolutely rolling with season two. Uh, I believe we're about at the halfway mark. We've had some exceptional guests come onto this program to share their powerful stories of, uh, of struggles and recovery. Um, and we have a, quite a slate of individuals coming up in the weeks to come. So really looking forward to where this season is taking us. And uh, also, I say this a lot, but I'm so blown away by how many people approach me saying that they're, they've listened to the podcast um, and, and, you know, how much they've enjoyed it. For me, this is, is really great. I believe that, you know, we have so much to learn about the, the you know, world of addiction and recovery. And the best way to do that is, you know, hearing it through so many different lenses um, from individuals who have experienced uh, their struggles in substance use and addiction and have uh, found success in their personal recovery. So, um, you know, for me, this is really powerful. Whether, you know, you are in active addiction um, looking to get out, um, whether you are in recovery and looking to maintain this path, whether you are a friend or loved one um, of someone who is struggling, uh, whether or not you're just a member of the community um, who wants to learn more. I, I personally feel like listening to these stories is such a powerful way to learn um, and, and really understand um, where individuals are coming from when it comes to addiction. So um, like I said, always have plenty of respect for individuals who have the courage to come on and share these stories. It's not easy a lot of times to be talking. It's a very personal and intimate um, uh, journey. And uh, for me, uh, my hat's off to anybody who's willing to share the story for others to learn. So uh, thank you so much. Um, today, on today's podcast, I want to speak a little bit about uh, She Recovers. So She Recovers Foundation is a global not-for-profit grassroots movement serving more than 350,000 women uh, in or seeking recovery from substance use disorders, mental health issues, and other life challenges such as grief and loss, sex and love addiction, chronic illness, and other obstacles often associated with trauma. This lifeline organization connects women through its virtual platforms and in-person community networks provides resources and supports um, women to develop their own holistic recovery patchwork and empowers them to thrive and share their success. And all efforts are designed to end the stigma and shame of being in recovery so that more women can heal and grow. I think that's absolutely amazing. Obviously, the numbers don't lie. Uh, this program has a great following in the United States and is, uh, you know, really taking off uh, in Canada as well. Um, you know, the workshops, the, the online resources, just amazing. Uh, and today we have the pleasure of bringing on uh, Don Nichols, who is the co-founder of She Recovers. And uh, like I said, I, I think this is a big win for Comfortably and Numb because Don has made such an impact on so many women's lives in recovery and uh, you know to be able to be able to sit down and, and hear her experience um, you know it's really powerful so um, thank you so much uh, Dawn for taking the time to come on to this program and uh, yeah really excited 
Okay, Dawn, thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. Um, we're really grateful that you were part of our recovery campaign this year uh, for the month of September. Uh, you know, seeing your face on the side of buses and uh, on our social media was, yeah, I think it was really cool and just uh, <laughs> to have such a, a prominent you know figure in the world of recovery um, oh, you know, being able to take a part of this. I, I really appreciate that. And thanks for coming on the podcast. It sounds like it's been a busy uh, last few weeks. Yeah. You've been, been off traveling. I have been. I was uh, at She Recovers in Chicago and before that, I was. I had a couple of speaking engagements in Minnesota, and before that, I was at the big mobilized recovery conference in Washington D.C. Wow. So it's been two and a half weeks of on the road, in the air, uh, all recovery every day. It's been pretty exciting, but I'm also a little bit, a little bit tired. Yeah, but I'm no happy doubt. to be here and yeah. always happy to participate in anything that Umbrella is doing. I, I wasn't on a bus, as I understand it, which is good, which right. is fine that, for me. Right. <laughs> uh, but I loved doing the photo um, shoot and knowing that uh, have you know that our messages are being shared, and also really grateful to um, Umbrella for providing a space for She Recovers Sharing Circles, which. We host here downstairs in your beautiful big boardroom That's right. once a month. So, That's and Charlene, of course, is just a dear friend, and everybody that is here and working here are, you know, just all such superstars. So happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And I would, yeah, I would love to dive into uh, hearing all about she recovers and and what an unbelievable, uh, you know. Uh, Push that you've made um, um, in the world of recovery, um, but at first I'd, I'd love to hear your personal story and what you know caught you. And I, I, yeah. I understand thirty-six years in recovery. This is absolutely thirty-six amazing. years on the journey. Yes, I. Wow. Uh, you know, I was just. I guess my story isn't that unique. Grew up in a family that had a lot going for it, but not a lot of emotional. Um, kind of, I was, I'd say there was a lot of emotional neglect and that turned into me seeking um, all sorts of other ways of getting my emotional needs met. Uh, by the time I was 17, I knew I had a problem with substances and I just went for another 10 years trying to stop. So I kind of was a sometimes a daily user for years on end and then a binger and then I'd kind of have periods of abstinence. But by the time I was 27, I was just kind of done. I had two small girls and I couldn't do it anymore. Right. So I went to treatment uh, in Pacifica which was in New Westminster at the time. It's now in Vancouver. And got, you know, kind of came out of there and never did cocaine or drank alcohol again. Um, I did my own form of harm reduction for the first two years and smoked massive up quantities of marijuana. And then in 1989, I uh, decided to put that down too. Got very, very serious about my recovery. Joined a 12-step program for people with addiction. And that's, you know, I'm still a member of that program. I don't, I'm not particularly active in it these days because she recovers kind of, took over a lot of my recovery time and space and service. Um, but I always say, you know, I will always be a member of that program as long as I have a desire to stop using and nobody can tell me otherwise. So there you go. Um, my, you know, my really first few years of recovery were focused on getting, uh, going back to school to, and to finish a, a bachelor's degree that I'd started while in addiction. And it was just one of those things that I'd always really regretted. Of course, there's so many things you regret in your addiction, but I had really, really regretted that I had started this degree and I wanted to finish it. So I went back and ended up staying in school for 13 years. And wow. that was a little bit wild. Um, I guess I got addicted to school. And also I didn't want to pay back my student loans. And I knew if I stopped going to school, I'd have to. Okay. Right. So yeah, I guess, you know, recovery for me in, in those first uh, decade or so was just about recovering a sense of self-worth and a sense of self-respect and kind of reminding myself that I could do pretty well whatever I wanted to. I'm priv pretty privileged person. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm white. I'm now rather highly educated, uh, 
middle class, I have the ability to move about, you know, have no mobility issues, except now I'm getting a little creaky, but right. <laughs> English speaking, I always say that being a Canadian is, um, is a privilege. So yeah, I just kind of have been we're on this pathway of trying to make amends for the things that I did in my past, like some of us feel we need to and right. learned how to become a better daughter and sister and mother and wife and all those things. Sure. So it's been a, it's been a, it's been a ride, right? Yeah, Up and down and all the way around. I've had cancer. I lost my mother to leukemia. I lost my dad last year. He had COVID. Wow. Just kind of all the things come at us. But for me, anyway, being in recovery means that I'm going to get through them. You know, right. I have this sense of when something really bad happens or is threatening to happen. I no longer have that, oh my gosh, the world is going to end. I always know that uh, I have resources and I have support and I'm going to get through them. Right. So. And I'm going to get through this extreme exhaustion. I know it. That's right. <laughs> I just need more naps. More exactly. Naps. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Rest and recuperation. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm just curious, you know, and you said that when you were 17, that was the first time, you know, you really recognized that you had a problem. Yeah. And then, you know, 10 years after, after that, what, um, you know, during that time, were there periods of conviction or attempts that, that you had made or was it, yeah. was Pacifica really the first intervention? No, I mean, I, I, the, here's the thing. I didn't have the language to know that I had a problem. I didn't know that it was an addiction, right? I knew right. that I just didn't like the things that were going on in my life. And every time something really bad happened, it had something to do with me being absolutely blotto loaded out of my mind. Right. So although I only started using when I was 15, the very first time I drank, I blacked out. Right. And I think I pretty well blacked out every other time that I drank afterwards for the most part. So I just knew that it didn't feel good. It never felt good. You know, mm -hmm. the repercussions of waking up and not knowing where you are, who you're with or how you got there. Right. Even for a 16 or 17 year old, that's pretty scary. So when I was 17, I ended up in the hospital in Whitehorse, the Yukon, where I was living with um, alcohol poisoning. And I'd already been in the hospital a couple of times with accidental overdoses. So when I was 17, I thought, no, it just, you know, this isn't, isn't for me. I'd rather not do all these drugs and drink all this alcohol. So I would just kind of I tried to convince myself that I was just a person that didn't drink or do drugs, but every second day I'd end up drinking or doing drugs. Right. I didn't have the language. I didn't know that I would had already kind of had a predisposition and a dependence on it. So for, for those 10 years, I just would either admit, you know, just accept that this is who I am and I'm just going to get blotto and, and be embarrassed and ashamed and all those things forever. Or, you know, that would run me up against the wall and I'd end up in the hospital on an overdose or something and then kind of go, okay, I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to stop living like this. And mm. I would do that for, as we do, a short period of time. But again, without knowing, right. you know, that it wasn't just me making bad decisions. It wasn't because I was a bad person with no willpower. Right. Um, you know, I really didn't have the language, the ability, the resources, the supports to make a decision to change my life. And so that wasn't uh, until I went into treatment. And I didn't really, uh, the way I ended up in treatment was my husband, ex-husband now, but husband at the time had, um, he'd ended up up in the hospital with drug-induced psychosis from cocaine. And before they let him out of the hospital, it was Lionsgate in Vancouver, they asked that we meet with a drug counselor. And we met with a drug counselor. And that counselor said to him, uh, it's not just the cocaine. You're going to have to give up drinking and smoking pot and anything else you're doing too. And he said, well, then I'm out of here. And he, he, you know, he didn't want to see her again. He didn't want to address that. He had, to his credit, he never did do cocaine again. Mm -hmm. But uh, of course, he, you know, other things kind of took over. And I just continued to see that counselor in an effort to figure out how to help him. Right. And after about six months of meeting with her one day, she just turned to me and said that um, she wanted to talk to me about my drug problem because she didn't really remember what my husband looked like. 
Right. And she thought maybe since I was seeing her, we should talk about me. Wow. You know, you hear about like the penny dropping, mm-hmm. like kind of on, when you have an awareness of something. And I have to say that that was the first time that the penny dropped for me. I was kind of like, you you know, I, I, I think I said something like, you're absolutely right. Oops, am I allowed to swear? Oh, you're absolutely. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, we should talk about my drug problem. Um, and so we did. And I made a promise then and there. Now that, now that I had a little bit of information, I said, okay, well, I'm for sure going to stop now and I'm never going to use again. And um, she exacted a promise from me. She said, if, and if you don't, if you find yourself back in a position where you're filled with self-loathing and, and regret because of how much you've, how many drugs you've taken or drink, how, many, how much alcohol you've drunk, will you promise me that you will go to treatment? And I walked out of there saying, yeah, absolutely, because I knew that I was never going to use again. Right. And three weeks later, I phoned her and for some reason found the ability to be honest and said, I need to go to treatment. I can't do this on my own. Okay. And went to treatment and it was life-saving. And I mean, what a privilege, what an absolute privilege. I remember, I mean, it was Pacifica, it was 1987. I didn't pay a cent, I don't think, to go right. there. And I know that we still have some public um, beds, but what I just think back and what a privilege for me to have had that 28 or 30 days, whatever it was. And right. I mean, it changed the course of my life, it changed the course of my children's lives. Um, it ended my marriage, <laughs> which was a very good thing. Right. And yeah, I'm forever, ever grateful to the system uh, for allowing me to kind of get the education I needed to figure out what this thing called addiction was all about. Right. Of curiosity, how long did it take once you said, I, I want treatment? Were you in there? Very quickly. Very, wow. very quickly. Like I, you know, I think I, as I recall, I, and the reason I, rec- I mean, I'm it's 1987, I don't have absolute recollection, but sure. what I know is that um, when I said I wanted to go to treatment, she's, um, the counselor said I had to get, do a medical right away. And I do remember, like, I did get in to see my doctor, like, right away within a week. And then I was on the ferry because uh, I was living on the Sunshine Coast at the time. So I, I know I must have been in there, like, within two weeks. Wow. Yeah. What I mean, a, I was ready. I was right. ready and the yeah. system was ready to receive me. Right. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was pretty incredible. I, I loved treatment. I thought, I felt like, you know, I hadn't ever been without my kids. Uh, for Part of it was until I realized that there was hard work to be done there. I felt a little bit like I was on a resort, you know, just being away and people feeding right. me and just being able to worry about hanging you for out a while. and just focusing yeah. on me. And I remember feeling a little bit guilty about that and sharing that in group and having the the counselor whose name I, escapes me sometimes I can remember it say, um, "It's okay. You don't have to be feel guilty about having this time because you're going to go back to your family and you're going to be much better you know, able to care for them and take care of them. So right. it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty about thinking this is a great thing. It is a great thing." And it was right. Amazing. Yeah. I always, I always feel that, you know, regardless of, of where your struggles are, everybody could use, you know, right. treatment right. where yeah. you can go away and focus on yourself and just self-reflection you know, and, and figure out like, what the hell is going on here? Right? Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be drugs. It, yeah. it can be just a relationship or a job or mm-hmm. you, you know, we just kind of need, retreat we need to retreat from our life every once in a while right and be able to look at things with a little bit more perspective and it, it just i think it takes being away from being out of the middle of it to truly figure out what it's about right and how old were your kids at this time two and six okay yeah so two, two yeah young, they're now ones. 42 and 38 okay uh, right <laughs> so oh, i'm so old i'm so old <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and coming back out of treatment, so obviously it's such an uh, eye-opening experience. You've kind of had this conviction. You're like, I'm never yeah, kind of going back. What did that transition look like, you know? 
Well, for me, it looked like going home and packing up my kids and my house and, and all my things and leaving my husband. So there was that, you know, we moved from the Sunshine Coast uh, to Victoria. Um, and I didn't live here for very long. But it, it, you know what I remember it just it feeling like so new and so I was just so hopeful. And I just had so many great ideas for my life. And I was so proud of myself. And, and then I, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't do what I had been asked to do which was to hook into a 12-step program. I was, for some reason, I was shy and I went to a couple of meetings. And all I really remember was, I think the meeting was like where Market Square is now. And I haven't been able to find anybody who can remember it being there, but that's what I remember anyway. And it was, it was just a big meeting and it, you know, it just kind of felt weird to me. And and so I I wasn't comfortable for the first time. And, Mm. uh, you know, as I recall, nobody kind of I pro- I don't know if I shared or if anybody saw me or said anything to me or whatever, but I kind of remember just going in and coming out thinking like, no, it's that's not, that's not my not place. It. That's not yeah. it. And so it wasn't very long after that I found myself in a situation where um, somebody was smoking some pot and, you know, was being passed around. And I just, yeah, I mean, I it took a hit and that was it for the next two years. Mm-hmm. And I think the interesting thing for me was I, I pot had just kind of been a whatever thing for me in my addiction. I was much right. more into cocaine and alcohol and pills. Loved, loved, loved any sort of pills. Mostly kind of, um, I wasn't really into speed or anything like that, but anything else, anything that took me in the down direction was I was all over. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I know. And I got so addicted to pot right. because it was the only thing. And by the end of that two years and I, then I went back to treatment again to get off of that a shorter period and a different treatment program it was in Kamloops but I really did just like this I felt more powerless than I had felt previously because I used to be able to stop for periods of time you know right. stop the other substances and yeah. I could not stop smoking pot and it was it was scary but got out of there ended up moving back to Alberta for quite a few years did really lock into the 12-step program that became my home. And, uh, yeah, so I haven't smoked pot for 34 years. Wow, amazing. Mm-hmm. And and what was different when you say with the 12-step, you know, once you locked in in, in Alberta? Is that you your know, It first... was in Red Deer, Alberta. Okay. <laughs> it was a really tiny group, and it was, right. it was really a funny little group. It was, um, you know, as so often happened back in the 60s, well, in the 70s and 80s, and even into the 90s, I think it was – bunch of people from uh, one 12-step program who were starting a new 12-step program. And yeah, everyone was just kind of bumbling around trying to figure out what the difference was between the two programs. And um, there weren't very many, there weren't very many girls there, you know, there was just a couple mm-hmm. of us and, uh, you know, a handful of guys and it was just small. And, and those, some of those people are still like my closest friends in recovery. Okay, right. So it was just small enough and I was ready enough. I think that's what the difference was. Right. I was pretty done. You're willing. And, yeah. um, yeah. And then we had about three weeks clean. Um, I went to a, uh, an, a convention in Edmonton an, a narcotics anonymous convention. And I ran into a person who I'd known when I was in the Yukon in active addiction and he became a really good friend of mine and we just hung out. My kids were with their dad every second weekend and so he and I would hang out and go to meetings and, you know, we went to a bunch of conventions and campouts and it just really made this wonderful friend in recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really helped me as well in that first six and th- six months, et cetera, whatever it was. Um, and then we realized we had feelings for each other and we were in trouble because you're not allowed to do anything like that for a year, as you know. Right, right. Um, but we were lucky. Our sponsors were married to each other. 
Okay. And they'd gotten together when they were both very, very early in recovery. So they were like, ah, whatever, you're okay. And so then, you know, again, it's just kind of now I had this person who was my best friend and now my person and, um, we were very involved in service and, and, you know, did a lot, a lot, a lot of things with the community. And I guess we kind of just had each other's accountability partners and right. we still do. We've been married for 31 years. Oh, wow. Amazing. Years in, in December. Yeah. Okay. He's still my person. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And running the same, same journey and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. So obviously at, at this point now you're kind of solidifying your recovery, um, you know, after that you know, the little bit of a, you know, recalibration and, and yeah. realizing with, with, with the, the weed that this is not where you want to go. And yeah. now all of a sudden you seem to have your roots kind of in recovery. Yeah. What, what happened, uh, you know, from, from, from that point, you know, obviously things have evolved for you in the, in the world of recovery. Yeah. I really, I, you know, I realized, um, once I kind of had my footing again that I, you know, I needed therapy. <laughs> yeah. I really, really needed therapy. So I, I went back, I was going, I decided to go back to school, as I'd said. Mm -hmm. And because I was a student at the U of A at the time, I had the opportunity to do psychotherapy. And I did it once a week for 18 months. And that was really, really, for me, um, that's what made the difference for me. It was just really starting to understand my patterns and my pain and, and the trauma and all of the things that I'd been using so many different things, substances, relationships, um, jobs, all the things. So that was kind of, um, I think where I, where I found that next layer, next level of recovery and, and deep understanding of who I was and what I wanted. And then, as I said, I kind of got, um, pretty wired into school The school started taking over after, I mean, I was there for 13 years, I'd say after about seven years, school started to take over and, and my kind of, my program kind of went a little bit, bit to the back which happens, right? I mean, it's, you know, I remember for me, what I remember about my recovery was that for the first six or seven years, I was that person that would say to people, you know, you have to go to this many meetings in this many days in a week, and you have to do this many sets of steps, and you have to right. call your sponsor this many times. And, and if you don't, you're going to use and you're going to die. And like, I just believed that. And right. for me, I mean, it was true in the beginning, I had to have right. those like really, really strong, um, the, the contours, like I, I didn't have any room for um, creativity in my recovery. I needed to just kind of do just what I was down. asked to do. Yeah. And I always say that when, when we were getting out of um, treatment in 1987, nobody was saying, go listen to some podcasts and read some right. quit lit <laughs> and do some yoga, right. you know, and, and take whatever supplements, you know, it was like, go to this a 12 step recovery program right. and follow it to a T. And that's what I had done. And after about six or seven years, I, I just found myself wanting to do more and it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the program or the people in it or the things that I was doing. I just felt like there was more that I wanted to expend my energy on and, and I had to start giving it up a little bit. And, and what happened for me um, and my partner at the time was we started, there was a lot of judgment against us for not going to as many meetings, for not holding mm -hmm. as many service positions. And so the people that we loved and adored and, and had recovered with so strongly for seven years we started kind of falling away from those relationships a little bit just because of the judgment and the shaming. Sure. Um, and that was really unfortunate. And, and, you know, I know that I, people would, would say really horrible things to, to us <laughs> kind of about it. Right. So I started to think a little bit differently and, and, you know, I, I wish I'd had the language at the time, but I, as you know, I have said it already. I have it now. And that is, 
I wish I'd been able to say at that time, listen, I'm going to come to one meeting a week, not three, and I'm going to not do service this year, but I'll do something next year. And I'm going to have one sponsee that I can really pay attention to, not Mm -hmm. seven. And, and you can't say anything about that because the only requirement to be here is a desire to stop using. I wish I'd have that language, but I didn't. So I just kind of hid away and didn't go because I didn't want to fight. Um, and then I, I think I just was watching other people who kind of stopped being as immersed in, in our program as I had been at the same time, I was kind of detaching a little bit and they were thriving and they were doing things like going back to school and traveling and starting businesses and doing meditation. And, you know, some of them were like, had really gotten into marathon running, like just all the things that they were doing for their own mental and spiritual wellness, finding some balance and they were thriving. Right. And I was like, wait a minute. No, you're not going to meetings. You're supposed to relapse and probably maybe not make it what's Mm -hmm. happening here. And I just became curious about that, but I was also inspired to know that, okay, as long as I keep doing it, I'm almost always in therapy every few years, even still, even like a few months ago was my mm-hmm. last therapy appointment. Um, and I just kind of, yeah, just kind of drifted away from that particular flavor of recovery. And uh, then I finished school in 2005. No, sorry, that's not true. Um, my mom passed away in 2000 and I was still fit- working on my PhD and my sister hit a bottom and a whole bunch of different things happened, which led me back um, to the rooms of my program. Um, and I was going there because I was bringing someone there. It was my sister. Okay. And I, you know, I tried everything else and nothing was working. I couldn't fix her. So I brought her to the one place I thought would not work for her probably. Right. Um, and I brought her into a meeting and listened th- through, like I listened to everybody's shares through her ears and walked out of there thinking, well, she's not going to want to come back here because she wouldn't have related to any of that. Mm. And we got in the car and I said, well, I, okay, now I don't know what to do because that was my last thing that I had for you. She said, what are you talking about? That was amazing. amazing. Okay. And she just celebrated 19 years clean wow. in July. So th- then I started just going back to meetings with her and my, my partner hadn't, Alan hadn't been going to meetings either. And I, I started going pretty regularly with her and then fell in love with it again. It was just right. beautiful. And then convinced him to go to a meeting. I bribed him to go to a meeting, actually. It's, it's a little bit embarrassing, but he, he, wouldn't, he didn't want to go. He just said, right. I'm, I'm good. I, I don't need to. Yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying them again. You know, I have nothing against them. I just I don't want to go. And he had a new boat, and he wanted a new stereo. And so one day I said, I'll, we'll buy a new stereo for your boat if you come to one meeting on Friday night. And he laughed and said, okay. So he came to the meeting. And again, I listened to everybody's shares through his ears and walked out. And I right. said, oh, well. I guess you still get the stereo because you came and he said, oh, are you kidding? That was, that was amazing. Okay. <laughs> and so then we just really got back into it so much. We were both going to like three, sometimes five meetings a week. Okay. Uh, we laughed one day because I said, how much are you putting in the seventh tradition? And he told me, and I went, oh shit, we better slow down. We're giving away all our grocery money. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that kind of, you know, there was a reason for that. I guess the universe kind of drew us back into that supportive system because in 2005, I ended up um, with cancer and moving to Victoria. And so I literally was in the hospital, nearly died, moved to Victoria and didn't know a single soul here. I moved here to teach at the university of Alberta, uh, Victoria. So we went to a meeting as soon as we got here. I mean, I was still in a wheelchair, I think, because I'd had really been devastated by the cancer and by the surgery and, you know, went to a meeting where we knew nobody and just said, here we are, we're new here and we need friends. And 
and the community was there. Completely. Right. So again, that's 2005 and really was, you know, I still think, I'd say probably it was, uh, we were pretty consistent meeting goers and, and involved up until about the pandemic and the pandemic just kind of, and the pandemic kind of hit just when she recovers, different things started happening with the pandemic. We got our status, our not our charitable status in the U.S. So things got really, really crazy with she recovers. And so neither of us have been particularly involved um, back in the, in our 12-step program, although uh, my partner has been to more meetings than I have. And I'd love to go, right. you know, I'd love to yeah. get back into going to meetings. I'm just trying to kind of balance all the rest of the things that are happening in my life around recovery. And there's a lot. Right. So, yeah, you touched upon she recovers. Obviously, you know, this is a huge aspect probably for your own recovery as well as, you know, giving back to everybody else. And, yeah. and I'd love to hear a little bit more about she recovers. Sure. Well, we're really excited that people in Canada will start hearing more about she recovers. Now we did just receive uh, last year, our Canadian charitable status, and we're about to start embark on some um, kind of PR promotion, kind of media, hopefully attention. Uh, what happened? How did that even happen? So I was going, 2005, we moved here, I ended up going teaching at the university, I was uh, consulting, and I was um, working full time in government. And over the period of six years, I became extremely addicted to work. So, uh, mm. you know, I, and I was going to meetings, and I was working steps, and I was doing all those other things as well. But I was so severely addicted to work that I hit the wall in February 2011 and ended up quite ill, quite sick. You know, it was a really hard bottom emotionally and physically. And so I took four months off from all of my three jobs, my full three full-time jobs. Oh, wow. And started thinking about how I'd survived addiction and I'd survived cancer and I'd survived the death of my mother and I'd survived my daughter, you know, actually becoming addicted when she was 16, my daughter Taryn. And that I wasn't about to kill myself on, with work. And, you know, I had to really do something about it. And again, work is really, really difficult when you're addicted to it. I still consider myself um, addicted to work. And it, it's this thing that soothes me and the thing that lets me numb out and do all those types of things. So I just went on that journey. And what I knew about recovery at that time was that I knew how to do recovery. I knew that there were different ways that I could do it. I found a 12-step program for workaholics, workaholicsanonymous.org. Um, it's a great website. Mm. Um, and I, I started therapy again and I really just kind of wanted to get a sense of, okay, what is this all about? And, and what came up for me was just that this idea that two things, we're all recovering from something and that I, I'd, I'd known already, like you just, there's just so many layers of our lives that we unpeel once we put away, if, if our starting place is substances or if it's shopping or it doesn't matter where we start, once we kind of get that one big thing a little bit under control, these other things do emerge and you, you know, mm. we can either... Um, explore them and heal from them and, and just keep going or we can end up just as messed up on them as we were on the original kind right. of thing that we were addicted to. So I started thinking about how I knew how to recover and I knew what I could do and I could, you know, I could do 12 step and I could do therapy and I could do yoga and I could do breath work and I could eat, drink more water and I could do all of these things. So I started exploring that in a blog called Recovering Dawn, talking about how we're all recovering from something. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated for people. And then I started thinking about how, and this is kind of my lifelong journey now is, you know, I started a conversation about how um, 12-step recovery is wonderful and there's so much to be said for it. But if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. 
So kind of we have 10 intentions and guiding principles. And, and the first one, the leading one, is we're all recovering from something. And then there's a couple and more. And then the one that's really important to me is we must be supported to find and follow individualized pathways and patchworks of recovery. Amazing. And I really started having that conversation. But having that it's conversation like, you know, the, the conversation with 2012 when we did our very first recovery day, um, Charlene was part of that, you know, with Charlene right. and Sue Donaldson and Lisa Wall and I and others. And um, Bill, Bill, and I'm forgetting Bill's last name. But so around 2012, the, the film, The Anonymous People came out. And if anybody hasn't watched The Anonymous People, I highly recommend it. So it's kind of like this resurgence, this kind of reinvigoration of the modern recovery movement. And people were talking about multiple pathways and the idea that people can't continue to hide in basements recovering, that we have to recover out loud. We need to show people that this works. And right. and I know how jarring that was for a lot of people in 12-step recovery, but I was all over it. I was like, yes, this is the truth. Mm. And so just kind of between the idea of we're all recovering from something and this idea that, um, you know, 12-step recovery isn't the only way, I, I felt like I... It, for me to have that conversation as a per person who attributes my life, my family's wellness to a 12-step program, right. that I'm talking about it as one of many ways to recover. A lot of people started talking about multiple pathways of recovery, but they would use language like alternative pathways of recovery. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't like that. You know, as soon as you say alternative pathways of recovery, you're othering. You're right. saying, you know, sure. and, and the one that's been around for the longest and worked for the most people is somehow other. Right. And we're going to put that right. aside and do all these other ones now. Yeah. So just started having that conversation. You know, the conversation continues. It was what I was speaking about in Minnesota a couple of weeks ago. I did a CEU event with a beautiful program called The Retreat, which is a 12-step immersion recovery program. You go there for 28 days, self-directed, and you work the steps. Wow. And I was there speaking to roomfuls of like, these are the biggest, I mean, honestly, the first morning, I, I I spoke twice. The first morning, there was like 120 people, most of them elderly white men okay. who were like Bill and Bob aficionados. Like okay. these are these are Bill and Bob's dudes. And speaking to them about this, and and the next day I did a talk called um, A Matter of Life and Death, Why the Discourse Around 12-Step Recovery and Women needs to change and again I come at it from a I'm not saying we don't do 12-step I'm saying yes sure. we do it and it's there for everybody it's the most accessible you can't separate the idea of privilege mm -hmm. from recovery 12-step right. recovery is still the freest most accessible available in more languages than any Absolutely. other treatment program and so we have we have to keep it we have yeah. to talk about it we have to let people know it's there and right it's not right. a poor exactly so in that discussion this kind of thing called she recovers came out I, I was doing the blog and then I went back to work to one of my jobs, not three, and realized that I couldn't continue to blog because blogging takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So we just started a Facebook page and instead of calling it Recovering Dawn, we called it She Recovers and things just kind of went on from there. You know, we've just been continue continuing to have this conversation and trying to really raise the level of um, awareness about all the other ways to recover at the same time as trying to preserve the respect and the, um, I mean, really, 12-step recovery, there, there's now studies, evidence, an evidence base that says it works. So really trying to preserve both its traditions and its um, efficacy and really talk about that, that that is something that we can't just throw out and that we need right. to, doesn't mean that we have to send anybody, everybody there like we did in 1987, but we have to accept that it exists and it exists beautifully for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Amazing.
And so obviously this has kind of garnered a lot of attention. You were saying that in the States has resonated more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So where, where has, where has that progressed? So from the Facebook page, right. what were, what was the development yeah. of She Recovers? It was so crazy. So we, um, my daughter is also in recovery. So she's, okay. um, she's 38 now. She became extremely addicted to some of the same drugs and then some worse kind of harsher ones than I did when she was 16. Got into recovery and 12 step was not for her. Like it just right. wasn't. And yep. so by the time we, I got around to my, my, she recovers and working, we're on healing from workaholism. She'd really fallen in love with yoga okay. as her recovery path. And she'd been training and doing yoga for recovery training and, trauma-informed yoga and so we decided that we would host a um a yoga and recovery retreat in mexico in 2012 and so that's what we did and we just because our facebook page was most of the people that were finding us were in the united states again there was just more conversation happening about recovery in the u.s and in canada at the time there still is yeah let's be clear um so the people who came to our retreat that first time and the second time and like we've now hosted 65 retreats uh, the people who were joining the Facebook group, it, it just we were just really kind of blew up in the U.S. And in 2017, we held our first conference, and that was in New York City. The second one was in L.A. The third one was in Miami, and just a couple of days ago, we were in Chicago. So our conferences have been in the U.S. because the treatment industry in the U.S. loves what we're doing and supports us financially. So we are right. able to kind of pull off these really huge events. Chicago's our last one for a few years because we're just we're done with the big kind of, we want to focus more on more accessible offerings to people. Um, so yeah, I think it was the retreats and just the Facebook page that brought so much of a U.S. We had to establish ourselves as a U.S. company in order to do New York. Okay. And so we were, um, a few years in, we decided we would apply for charitable status in the U.S. and we got that first. So we got that in 2020. So yeah, it's been really... We really didn't want to talk about Canada too much until we got our charitable status. But now that we have that, we do want to go out and figure out how we can just do more here back home. Right. In fact, it's, I mean, it's its our passion and our goal for the next five years is to focus more on Canada. There are some wonderful people on our team who can continue to focus on the U.S. Taryn and I really want to start advocating for more attention here That's great. Uh, north of that border. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think your message is one, like you say, um, you know, I'm really glad that you're sharing it. You know, I, I feel very strongly that this is not a one size fits all model and that everybody needs to take a little bit of everything to make their own recovery yeah. plan, you know, and, and it looks different for everybody. Yeah. And I think anytime there's this doctrine that, Hey, you need to do a, B and C to see success. Well, that may be the case, but yeah. I think there's so much more to it. And I think that finding a program that aligns with you and your needs and your beliefs, you know, yeah. is so important. And I know? think what's, unique about she recovers is we're not a program we consider mm-hmm. ourselves and this is the language i use all the time mm-hmm. we're an umbrella mm-hmm. over all the wonderful pathways out there and we right. encourage people to create their own patchwork from all yeah. of the things that are there right. we have some tools you know we also we train people in our philosophy so we have she recovers coaches we have she recovers therapists we have she recovers yoga teachers she recovers dance instructors um but we, you know, we really do say that, you know, choose your, choose your own patchwork, like create it. Maybe do a, maybe you're doing a lot of 12 step, but then also do some therapy, do some yoga, right. do all those types of things. Um, so I do think we're, we don't see ourselves as, as a standalone program. Uh, and I don't think that we ever will. Right. 
I think that's great. Yeah. You're just opening up the doors and showing the, the possibilities. Like a clearinghouse, right? right? Like yeah. an, an information portal. Right. These are yeah. some of the things that you can do. We have a series called Mental Health Mondays. We used to do it every Monday, but due to lack of funding, we only do it once a month now. And it's, it's all mental health issues. Right. So we have just so many wonderful people who, who share their time with us. And we have an, an incredible library of resources on our um, She Recovers YouTube channel, like thousands of hours right. of, of resources. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody is wanting more information on She Recovers, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. So they would go to www.sherecovers.org. Within about the next, uh, hopefully, eight weeks, uh, there will be a page on there that will take you to the um, Canadian, just to give you information about Canada. Um, yeah, but everything else is on there right now. Taryn's getting ready to do another she recovers trauma-informed yoga teacher training. So anybody with 200 hours of yoga teacher training can take that training. Uh, we've okay. got our, our new professionals program for therapists and social workers, nurses, et cetera, who want to take um, our program, whether they want that as to have a designation that they can use and share, or whether they just want to do it for self-development and really figure out how they too can immerse themselves in a women-centered, trauma-informed, uh, inclusive uh, philosophy of women's recovery. That's there for them. We've got retreats coming up next year in Texas. Okay. Uh, and also my daughter, Taryn, and I actually host beautiful retreats. Uh, they're outside of the foundation. They're kind of like founders retreats. And we do those on Salt Spring Island where Taryn now lives. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So just keeping, keeping really busy. And that, that must keep you so online, being able to speak recovery and, and you know, have yeah. this immersed in your day-to-day life. That's got to be amazing for your own recovery. It is. I mean, it is for sure. I'm currently an unpaid volunteer CEO. Right. <laughs> so uh, I also have to work. I am right, still a consultant right. in the area of mental health and addictions and working on some beautiful um, projects for the province right now as a consultant. Um, so yeah, I still have to really be careful and watch my workaholism sure. and, uh, and my burnout, which is at a high, at an all-time high this week. Okay. But I know how to deal with it now, right? I know how to level out and right nap lots of naps in the future (laughs) that always sounds good you Mm -hmm. know my life would be a lot easier if i just had one one nap a day you know yeah even give me 15 minutes you need a hammock (laughs) in here in this i know hey yeah Yeah. that's right that's right (laughs) i'll make a big difference for my afternoons (laughs) that's for sure um so uh, you know one one last question for you so you know, somebody who's new in recovery or wanting, you know, maybe still in the the throes of, of their addiction, they're wanting to make that change. What advice do you have for them? I mean, if someone is, is new to uh, the rooms or that yeah. comes your way, what, what do you say to people? Well, you know, if you're, um, if you identify as a female, I'd say come along to one of our sharing circles that are held once right. a month at Umbrella on right. the Sundays from 10 till 12. Um, and I guess I would say that, or join whatever, we have online meetings too. Sorry, I meant to say 9am and 5pm every day online. We also have on the weekends, we have identity based meetings, LGBTQ plus, we have BIPOC, we have, um, healthcare and allied professionals, legal professionals. We have, they're all on our website. And I'd say, find yourself a space where you can explore recovery Mm -hmm. without judgment. Right. You know, I think. I think I guess what I would say is if somebody is not yet convinced that abstinence is their path or if they're not yet abstinent and they feel like they're going to be judged or shamed or and and I'm not saying that they would be but if you're feeling like you can't you know maybe you've been going to meetings for a long time and now you don't want to go back there and say like I'm still 
I'm still smoking pot. I don't know what's happening in it. And you're, right. and you don't feel like you're going to be supported. Um, because we're all in recovery from something that she recovers. We're not an abstinence based program. Right. Like you're there because you have something you want to work on Yeah, and where right. you're at with it is your business and nobody else's. Right. And we are supportive and non-judgmental. And you know, would I perhaps say to you at some point down the road, like, I think you should check out those meetings again. Absolutely. I would. Um, but in the meantime, just come along, bring your exploration, bring your hope and, and your kind of, yeah, your curiosity and come and talk about it with us because we will right. absolutely hold you in that. Right. Yeah. Like you say, find that space that is judgment free and, you know, get away from the shame and the guilt and the stigma yeah. attached to, to this like umbrella. Issue. You know, yeah. I would say come to umbrella, speak right. with somebody at umbrella. And I really don't want any, you know, I don't want people going away thinking I'm saying that 12 step recovery will shame Right. And, 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 and all of that stuff. It, it isn't necessarily that the program or the people in it do it, but I know that people feel it, feel the shame because they're not able to meet, um, abstinent, you know, meet kind of the abstinence, um, protocol or, right. you know, or if they're multiple, you know, if they're continuously using and having to go back and raise their hand as a newcomer, I think it can just, after a while, it can get pretty tiresome for people and they give up. Right. So don't give up for That's giving up. Try find, find other pathways yeah. to, to accessing that recovery. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And you can return to it anytime. Right. Right. It's funny just, you know, hearing you talk, you know, about your program and your philosophy, it's, you know, I, I see why, you know, we are aligned with, you know, why, why it, cause really a, a lot of our values are really along the same lines totally. as, as your values. And that's, yeah, that's really yeah. encouraging. Yeah. I uh, say, and I mean this, and this is just the truth, right? The substances we use or the shopping or the gambling or the relationships, the love addiction, the food, all of the things, they're just symptoms, right? We're mm -hmm. all the same. We all have the same underlying issues. Most of them are mental health or trauma. And so like, yeah, those, those are just your coping mechanisms and like you shouldn't, you're going to have to deal with them. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but you can also come at this from a different perspective. Right. Amazing. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you being able to take the time to come in. I know that's uh, probably the, the last thing you want to do it when being super burnt out, but I, I really appreciate it because I think your message is, is amazing. And I think the work that you've done, um, not just for our community, but for, uh, you know, the, the community at large and, you. and, um, you know, uh, seems like it's, it's really had a, a really lasting effect and, and it's really touched so many people. So I really appreciate the work you're doing for recovery. <laughs> well, right back at you. And Absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and I, yes, I'm tired, but I, I knew this was something I really wanted to do. And I have such mad respect for everything that everybody does at Umbrella. Uh -huh. So there was no way I was not going to come and do it. Amazing. And now I've earned my nap. So there, there you, you go. go. Perfect. <laughs> Job well done. Right. On. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Thank you once again to Dawn, not only for coming onto this program, but for all the work she has done over the years for women in recovery. I'm absolutely blown away by the reach that She Recovers has had and the impact it has made on the recovery community at large. So I'm really hoping this organization um, continues to grow and has longevity and, um, you know, is reaching as many people as possible in their journeys um, of recovery. So, Thank you again to Dawn. It's so great to have uh, strong women on this podcast come and share their story. Um, and speaking of strong women, uh, we have uh, the next two podcasts um, are featuring two uh, women in our community that have seen success in their personal recovery and are coming on to share their story. 
Um, I think there's just such an inspiration. And so I'm really grateful for that. So stay tuned. Our next podcast will be coming out in about two weeks time. Um, until then, please make sure that people are listening to this podcast and make sure that people are understanding that recovery is possible. I'm a firm believer that we need to get that word out there on uh, recovery and keep that hope alive. Um, in the meantime, I hope everyone stays happy and healthy and safe. And from Victoria, BC, and the Umbrella Society, my name is Blake Anderson. Thank you.